hard to overstate the importance of the Colorado River system. The river itself is 2,350 kilometers long. It runs through the west from Colorado's Rocky Mountains all the way into the Gulf of Mexico. The Colorado River Basin, meanwhile, covers about 8% of the continental U.S. It's huge. It provides water to nearly 40 million people and farms in seven western states. It's essentially a liquid lifeline for the west. The problem is that it is drying up. And it has been for about a quarter century now. The river's two main reservoirs, you may have seen stories about Lake Mead, uh, because the water dropping there is revealing some interesting stuff that's been left behind in that water. Um, Lake Mead and Lake Powell are now nearly three-fourths or three-quarters empty, one-quarter full, depending how you look at it, and are projected to continue dropping. It impacts everything from hydroelectricity generation and water supply uh, to millions of people. This week brought new problems because... The seven states that rely on the river and the basin were told two months ago to develop plans to drastically reduce their water use. That deadline came and went this week with no deal in place. So Washington stepped in and announced new emergency water cuts for Arizona, Nevada, and New Mexico. Here's the Associated Press's Norman Hall on all of it. Arizona and Nevada, already enduring extreme drought, face more water cuts from the Colorado. The reductions come as experts predict levels at Lake Mead, the largest U.S. reservoir, will plummet even further. The cuts will place officials in those states under extraordinary pressure to plan for a hotter, drier future and a growing population. I, Norman Hall. So what does that mean for us? Well, first, we get a lot of our winter produce from California, and that stuff is grown using that water. And second... We have a lot of water, so understandably, some watching their own supply dry up will occasionally turn their gaze north. Well, joining me now is Jack Schmidt. He's director of the Center for Colorado River Studies at Utah State University in Logan, Utah. Thanks for your time tonight. Great to be here. Well, this is by no means a new topic. I know that uh, the drought in, in the Colorado River Basin has been going on for nearly a quarter century now, uh, but it, it, you get the sense, at least from the other side of the border, that this year feels like a particularly uh, bleak year when it comes to this topic. It is, and it's a challenging year. Um, the best way to explain this is that the the crisis, if you will, has been 20 years in the making. Um, Ever since approximately the year 2000, uh, runoff and stream flow in the Colorado River um, has been uh, substantially lower than it was in the 20th century. Um, But unfortunately, we have continued to consume water at the old high rate even though the stream flow has been less. And the way that American society and Mexico was able to sustain consuming water at a higher rate than it was coming into the system was by draining the reservoirs. And so the reason why we're in the crisis of the moment is that... um, now we have such little amount of water left in the reservoir. It, it's as if we had a checking account and we had a big whopping balance in the checking account in the year 2000. But then our income dropped, but we just kept spending and we could get away with that for a while. But now we're in another very dry 
situation. The drought has continued. And in fact, we've had very low flow in the last couple of years. And we're still spending big, but there's nothing left in the bank account. That's the crisis. Eventually, you have to pay the piper, right, in this case. And so much is reliant. It's such a, the Colorado River is such a such a lifeline for so much of, of both society and economy in that area. How come it was never taken seriously enough? I know there, there were ample warnings that this day would come, and yet we didn't see the kind of uh, reservoir water management that you might expect. Well, it is easier to look in hindsight. Um, in the year 2000, the reservoirs were essentially full. And in fact, here's the irony. At that time, the history of being used in lots of water was significant, was sufficiently significant that the federal government and the states felt the need to agree to a policy called the Interim Surplus Agreement, which defined what surpluses of river flow were and how those surpluses would be distributed. So when the river conditions got very dry in the first couple of years of the 21st century, people sort of breathed a sigh of relief and said, well, okay, uh, we've got a break. We don't have to worry about surpluses right now. But then it continued. So inevitably, it takes you some years to realize you've got a problem. And then by uh, the period around 2005 to 2007, negotiations uh, uh, transpired concerning an interim shortage agreement to say, what do we do if there's not enough water? And the reason we're in the situation we are today is that those agreements, as difficult as they were to reach, as messy as our democracy is, those agreements inadequately addressed the decline in um, in supply, and that's where we are today. So it is true to say it's an inadequate response to a decline in runoff and you are absolutely right. Climate scientists have been warning about this for many years. But the response of all of the Western states um, has been slow and messy. And slow and messy is really hard to deal with when now we have reservoirs that are very low. And clearly, you know, water management, when it comes to uh, everyone along a river agreeing on who gets what, we see these fights all over the world, right? From from uh, from China uh, into into um, you know the Nile. There's a, there are many examples to cite. There are we are seeing though some real drastic measures here. The federal government is uh, looking at reducing water consumption. Is it not in some southern states? Yes. You know, first, I just want to I just want to capture and um, highlight something you just said um, si for more than a century since since the earliest of the 1900s. Um, writers have referred to the Colorado River as America's Nile. Right. And you are very insightful to point out the similarities. And in fact, in the Nile, you have a similar situation with Ethiopia wanting to develop the upstream supply while 
Egypt, the downstream state, uses it extensively. Mm -hmm. The federal government announced on Tuesday the implementation of a new round of cuts of consumptive use. And those are significant. They total uh, somewhat shy of a million acre feet, which is um, somewhat less than 10 percent of the average annual consumptive uses in the river. But it should be noted that um, those uh, and that announcement this week merely was an announcement of the implementation of agreements made two or three years ago. Right. The Commissioner of Reclamation announced two months ago that much more drastic cuts additional cuts on the order of 20 to 30% of the long-term average uses needed to be implemented. And none of those, and, and there was no response yet to that a call for what's really needed in decline in, in the decrease in consumptive use. The states so far have failed to reach agreement on those cuts. Jack Schmidt is with us. Uh, he's director of the Center for Colorado River Studies at Utah State University. We're talking about uh, the ongoing drought in the Colorado River Basin, which has reached, again, uh, what could be called kindly crisis proportions again this year. Um, Jack, when it comes to just the impact of this, I mean, so much of what was built in that region relies on this water. And I think obviously of California and, and sort of and, and water and agriculture. And of course, Canadians buy a lot of that, those winter crops uh, that are that are growing with this with this water. Uh, that is for sure. Um, the oft quoted figure is that 90% of the vegetables and salad crops and, 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 and green vegetables consumed in the United States and Canada between November and April are grown in the Yuma Irrigation District, the Imperial Valley, and the Mexicali Valley just across the border in Mexico. And so uh, you're absolutely right um, the crops grown in the winter um, have implications to Canada as well as the United States. You bet. The numbers are sort of vary. Um, the numbers you want, one uh, typically refers to are numbers uh, between 60 and 80 percent of all of the consumed water is consumed by agriculture. The number is about 60% in the upper Colorado River Basin, including Lake Powell and the four upper basin states. The number often quoted for the entire basin is a number like 80%. Uh, we should remember that uh, ag use of water includes not only the winter irrigation of vegetables and salad greens that we all depend on, but also involves substantial irrigation of pasture grass and alfalfa, both in the upper basin and in the lower basin in the summertime. And so sometimes we would do better if we were more precise in speaking about what kind of agricultural use. But those are the kind of numbers we work with. 
When one looks at at some of the solutions here, I mean, obviously, downstream states are worried uh, because they're being asked to cut back. There's clearly we, we don't think I mean, I, I, who knows at this point, but we don't think we're going to see a return of the kind of snowfall needed uh, to replenish. You know, what's your take on what needs to be done? Well, it is difficult to not look to agriculture to make significant reductions when agriculture makes, uh, consumes most of the water. And it is difficult not to conclude that the lower basin states of California, Arizona particularly, will take bigger cuts because that's where most of the water is used. Um, Nevertheless, we're all in this together. And um, the cities of the basin continue to work extremely hard to conserve uh, water. Uh, A place like Southern Nevada, Las Vegas, is working as hard as anybody could ask to um, make their water use as efficient as possible. They have among the lowest per capita water uses in the country. Um, So certainly landscaping and reducing water use for outside watering in cities is underway throughout the basin. Um, But we're going to return to inevitably to agriculture to try to find ways to make agricultural use of water more efficient um, and to grow crops that consume less water. And uh, this is going to take a massive commitment of uh, investment in changing the agricultural infrastructure to support efficient and wise use of water. Some of the other changes that we've been seeing, certainly the ones we've been talking about a lot are the basins, right? Lake Mead, Lake Powell. Um, I, I was reading the other day about, about uh, you know, a, a move at least to to tear down one of the, one of the dams, uh, the Glen Canyon Dam. Is that something we might see as well? Um, well, in fact, I've done a major analysis of that issue and and uh, published that through the center several years ago. To start, let us not lose sight of the fact that the fundamental problem is we're spending more money out of the checking account than is our income. Right. That taking more, can, taking more that water can, out of those reservoirs, right? That can only be solved by reducing consumptive use. Now, what? so let's never forget about that. But then the issue becomes, how do we wisely store water because we need to keep it as buffers in reservoirs? And right now, when Lake Powell and Lake Mead are both less than 30% full, One can accomplish small savings if that water were concentrated in one reservoir or the other. That's extremely controversial to do that. And there are rippled environmental effects with either draining Lake Powell or draining Lake Mead. And and that's its own conversation. Um, But it is important to note 
that the Bureau of Reclamation, in its Tuesday announcement, committed to begin to study ways to remove and withdraw water out of Lake Powell, even if the reservoir drops into what we now call dead pool, into its very lowest condition. And so that might involve re-drilling river tunnels around Lake Powell. It's such a brave new world of an uncertain future. We don't really know. But it is important to, to realize that essentially everything's on the table and everything is worth discussing And it should be noted, there are at least some groups in American society who celebrate uh, the draining of Lake Powell and the reemergence of the wonders of what had been drowned there under a reservoir at the same time that others look at the draining of Lake Powell as the essence of a water supply crisis. Uh, We are a complicated society. And as many as opinion, there are, I'm sure, no doubt, uh, as many opinions as there are leaders in in that part of the world. Jack Schmidt, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Thank you uh, for the opportunity to join you.